Hello, my name is Jeff Farrell, and this is the sixth in our series of podcasts in which we talk about topical technology issues in the 5G and satellite industry. You can also read or download a written version of these talks from our website, rttonline.com. This month, we are going to talk about the technology economics of KUK and KA band geostationary, medium Earth and low Earth orbit satellites, and the related implications for 5G business modelling. We call these the KSATs. The successful launch from New Zealand of the first Rocket Lab space vehicle at the end of May marks another step in developing low-cost access to space, carbon composite construction, an oxygen-kerosene pump-fed engine, FPGA programmable hardware and 3D printed engine parts. You can even book your payload online. There's more information on their website, rocketlabusa.com. The launch is further validation that space economics are changing faster than most terrestrial operators realise, suggesting that satellites can and should be factored into 5G business modelling. In last month's technology topic, dot space above the cloud computing, we debated the technical and commercial rationale for putting servers into space. We suggested that the combination of upgraded KA-band high-throughput geostationary satellites coupled with new generation KA-band medium-Earth orbit and low-Earth orbit HTS constellations will provide a cost-economic and power-efficient mechanism for delivering mobile and fixed broadband wide-area terrestrial connectivity in the centimetre and millimetre bands. We used a beach in Bournemouth as an application example, coincidentally one of the towns with the worst 4G coverage in Britain. From a technical perspective, the nearly always nearly overhead, as we call it, nano line-of-sight link budget available from high satellite count mixed constellations provides a flux density equivalent to terrestrial line-of-sight and can be significantly better than KA-band terrestrial non-line-of-sight where most of the RF uplink and downlink power will be absorbed by surface scatter loss. Nearly always nearly overhead connectivity increases active phase array flat conformal antenna efficiency and or enables lower cost power efficient passive flat panel antennas. If the connectivity is coupled to satellite based server bandwidth then significant latency gain can also be achieved. The commercial benefits of space-based connectivity and server bandwidth include multiple payload cost amortisation, free energy for the life of the satellite and no site costs. This is coupled to launch innovation, satellite hardware innovation and production innovation, which together are realising step function reductions in delivery cost. Satellite K band plans have already been covered in our August 2016 technology topic, Satellite Spectrum and Standards. In this month's topic, we take a closer look at the regulatory and competition policy issues that are emerging as the 5G and satellite industry begins to consider the risks and opportunities of K-band, K and KU-band shared access, and the underlying technical and commercial arguments for maintaining satellite primary access rights to centimetre band and millimetre band spectrum, including V and W and E band. This will inevitably be a dominant and divisive and rather deleterious issue at WRC 2019. The significance of the new space satellite industry in 5G business modelling is underappreciated and the lobbying power of satellite stakeholders generally underestimated. 
More pragmatically, satellites can potentially play a major role in improving the EBITDA and enterprise value of the 5G mobile operator community and associated vendor supply chain. This changes, or should change, the nature of the spectrum debate and the positioning of regulatory and competition policy. A first reminder of the core satellite bands defined in terms of the IEEE 521-1984 standard radar bands. These can be summarised as L-band, 1 to 2 GHz, S-band, 2 to 4 GHz, C-band, 4 to 8 GHz, X-band, 8 to 12 GHz, KU-band, 12 to 18 GHz, K-band, 18 to 27 GHz, KA-band, 27 to 40 GHz, V-band, 40 to 75 GHz, and W-band, 75 to 110 Gigahertz. E-band is effectively a subband in V and W band from 60 to 90 gigahertz. The three most used orbits are low Earth, that's anything between about 160 kilometers to 2,000 kilometers, medium Earth, which is 2,000 kilometers to 36,000 kilometers, and geostationary, which sit at 36,000 kilometers. The cost and performance trade-offs of these orbits are rehearsed intensively in the industry literature, but can be summarised as lower latency for closer Earth. Geostationary satellites have the advantage of staying more or less in the same place in the sky. High count LEO and MEO constellations have the advantage of being more or less directly overhead for most of the time. Three sizes of satellites can be summarised as PICO satellites, tiny little satellites less than one kilogram weight, nanosatellites, which are typically less than 10 kilograms, microsatellites, which are less than 500 kilograms, and macrosatellites, which are above 500 kilograms. The relative advantages of picosats, nanosats, microsats, and macrosats can be summarised in terms of available RF power and capability. Smaller satellites are useful for sensing and imaging applications. Larger satellites are more suitable for supporting multiple transponders and complex and adaptive antenna arrays which support cell radius scaling from 2 kilometers to 1,200 kilometers. It'd be very hard to do that in a terrestrial network. New generation GSOs, for example, third generation CABE and Viasat satellites, have throughputs per satellite of 1,000 gigabits per second, three times the throughput of previous generation macro GSO satellites. Any of the K-bands, KUKNK, band are capable of supporting the 3.5 GHz plus 3.5 GHz pass bands that are the basic building block of high-throughput satellites, typically arranged on a 350 MHz channel raster. These in turn can scale to the 5 plus 5 GHz FDD pass band and E-band, that's 71 to 76 GHz and 81 to 86 GHz, either side of automotive radar. There's plenty of bandwidth available, and the combination of new-generation high-power GSO and high-count Leo Mio constellations delivers plenty of power. But how good are the cost economics? Well, as discussed in last month's technology topic, a number of technology innovations are helping to reduce the cost of launching space assets and keeping them in orbit, including reusable rockets, courtesy of Mr. Musk, and electric satellites, which deliver lighter launch weight and longer life. Improvements in solar cells and RF power amplifier efficiency are increasing the amount of RF power available, and this power can be adaptively focused on areas of demand using adaptive fractional beam width antennas. Terrestrial flat panel array adaptive beam tracking formal antennas or optimised passive flat panel antennas deliver additional uplink and downlink gain. These improvements increase the value of space assets and the special assets associated with those space assets. Space asset value can be calculated on the basis of the amount of allocated spectrum 
The quality and characteristics of the spectrum, including the spectrum band plan, the mix of transponders on board the space asset, the level of interference to which the satellite might be exposed, and for geostationary satellites, the orbital position and number of allocated slots. There may be some associated negative value in terms of debris damage risk and debris management cost, an emerging issue for high-count LEO constellations. A satellite may have a mix of C-band, X-band, KUK and K-band transponders supporting a mix of broadcast and bidirectional traffic. It will also have L-band and UHF, of course, as well. The level of interference within each band is a function of frequency reuse ratios and orbital separation. For example, a 3 degree longitude separation produces 120 possible orbital slot positions. A 2 degree longitude separation produces, unsurprisingly, 180 satellite slots. A 2 degree separation is equivalent to a spacing distance of 1470 kilometres. The total satellite count in geostationary orbit is of the order of 1800 satellites. This includes satellites that are co-located, defined as appearing to be in the same position when viewed from Earth via a satellite dish or flat panel array. For example, two astrosatellites at a longitude of 19.2 degrees east have a longitude separation of 0.0014575 degrees, which is equivalent to a distance separation of one kilometre, which in space terms is cosy. Theoretically, LEO and MEO satellites could also be co-located with coordinated station keeping maintaining space separation. This would double the RF bandwidth and double the RF power. Effectively, this is angular power concentration as opposed to angular power separation. Simultaneous connectivity could also be supported from multiple satellites. GSO slot value is a function of the coverage footprint available in terms of the sea mass and land mass illuminated from the satellite. Space asset value is also a function of the capacity and RF power available from the satellite. The rationale for installing KA-band transponders, for example, is to increase capacity and throughput relative to current K and KU-band transponders. These satellites are generically known as high-throughput satellites, HDS satellites, though, as we said earlier, K and KU-band HDS constellations are also feasible and cost-economic. High-throughput satellites are, of course, only useful if the capacity can be absorbed. This is described as fill rate. A fill rate of over 70% is considered as economic. Lower fill rates become progressively less attractive. Interference is also managed by implementing band plans with FDD separation. As an example, IMARSAT have an FDD band plan at 28 GHz, and K band, with four 250 MHz uplink channels between 28.35 GHz and 30 GHz, paired with a downlink between 17.7 GHz, and KU band, and 21.2 GHz, that's K band. This is combined with a military transponder at 30 to 31 GHz, that's in KA band, the downlink at 20.2 to 21.2 GHz, that's in K band. So it's a mixture of KUK and K band, all on one satellite. Note that it is going to be easier to coordinate coexistence between satellite and 5G terrestrial networks if 5G networks are also FTD, a detail not always appreciated by present 3GPP release 15 workgroups. Note also that much of the coordination will need to be resolved spatially rather than geographically. O3b provide an example of space spectrum spatial separation. O3b's band plan for the medium Earth orbit constellation at 8,000 kilometres is based on a KA band downlink at 17.7 to 20.20 GHz and uplink at 27.5 to 30 GHz. Because there are military GSO users in the downlink band, the ITU defines stringent EPFD equivalent power flux density limits. 
O3b, however, able to demonstrate that the angular separation between the MEO satellites and GEO satellites in the same frequency band confines any potential interference to a narrow range of equatorial latitudes within approximately 5 degrees of the equator. However, this also means that it should be possible to deliver simultaneous coverage from an integrated MEO and GSO constellation, with the MEO managing critical latency traffic and the GSO providing cost-effective capacity. O3B and SES are in a persuasively good technical and commercial position to realise joint value from the spectral and space asset combination. OneWeb and SpaceX and DISH networks also all claim to have proprietary techniques for managing angular power separation. I'm sure there'll be other prior art within the vendor supply chain as well. This is a critical enabler for 5G terrestrial systems where the satellite industry has prior art experience. So, how about regulatory and competition policy implications? The satellite industry and mobile broadband industry have similar but different competition policy and regulatory regimes. For example, regulators impose use-it-or-lose-it license obligations on satellite operators to discourage paper satellites, satellites that only exist on paper as a construct for denying spectral and orbital slots to potential competitors. Similar things happen in the mobile broadband industry with mobile operators buying spectrum so that competitors aren't able to realise viable subscriber numbers. Regulators are responsible for setting emission limits in the satellite industry to allow interference disputes to be resolved. Regulators have also intervened in cases where there's been a perceived risk of interference to space assets from terrestrial networks, light squared to GPS interference being a relatively recent example. These interference risks tend to be overstated by the incumbent parties, either deliberately for commercial reasons or due to cautious engineering assumptions. TV and mobile broadband coexistence arguments over the past 10 years in the UHF band demonstrate the financial cost of these spectral disputes. As the O3B example illustrates, system-to-system -system interference in the satellite sector is increasingly being managed in the spatial domain on the basis of angular power separation. This will also be the case in 5G terrestrial networks. However, this on its own is not a justification for changing the access rights to allow 5G priority to K-band or K, KU and E-band spectrum, particularly if the economic benefits of this are questionable. There's the additional opportunity of visiting LEO constellations to reuse their K-band and K-band feeder and crosslink spectrum for terrestrial HTS. A change in regulatory policy to allow this would transform the enterprise value of the legacy LEOs. If you look at Iridium, for example, they have downfeeder links at 19.4 to 19.6 gigahertz, an upfeeder link at 29.1 to 29.3 gigahertz, and crosslinks at 23.187 gigahertz to 23.387 gigahertz. That's substantially more spectrum, obviously, than they have at L-band. There is, of course, competition for capacity for military satellite systems across all of these bands, K, A, K, KU, and X-band, for example. But there are equally strong technical arguments for moving more of these military systems to E-band, 60 to 90 gigahertz, releasing more HDS spectrum for commercial, civilian, and consumer applications. Last but not least, high count LEO and MEO satellite constellations will require a new regulatory regime to address issues of debris management, collision avoidance, and end-of-life deorbiting, or housekeeping stuff you're going to need to do in space in the future. So, over the next two years leading up to WRC 2019, we can expect intense lobbying and debate over 5G and satellite coexistence issues, real or imagined, in K-band and to a lesser extent in all other satellite bands. While this might be understandable, it is 
regrettable and will slow the pace of 5G and satellite K-band HDS, LEO, MEO and GSO adoption and constellation upgrades. More importantly, it will reduce the potential added value to be realised from the closer integration between the mobile broadband industry, the satellite industry and their respective industry supply chains. There's a strong technical and commercial argument that it will often be more cost economic to provide wide area terrestrial connectivity for a mix of GSO and LEO and MEO satellite KAK and KU band satellites rather than from terrestrial networks. If this is the case, the enterprise value of the 5G mobile operator and satellite operator community will be mutually enhanced if the satellite industry maintain their primary access rights to K band and K and KU band spectrum with initial 5G terrestrial deployment concentrated on SUPS 6 GHz spectral assets. You can learn more about these topics in a number of ways. You can come on one of our 5G and satellite workshops. Uh, information on those on our website, rttonline.com. Uh, you can buy a copy of our book, 5G Spectrum and Standards, published by Artec House, or our earlier book, Making Telecoms Work, and links to that can be found on our website as well. And last but not least, the RTT, the Mobile World and Policy Tracker, are working on a new book project on 5G and satellite spectrum and standards and related regulatory and competition policy issues prior to WRC 2019. If you're interested in knowing more about this project or are developing products and services that you feel should be included or a regulatory and advocacy position that you feel should be reflected, then please email us for more information. Email me at jeff at rttonline.com or you can give me a call on um, 0447710 That's all for this month and look forward to talking to you in July.